Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am really excited to be at Island Palm Baptist Church. I love you guys very much, and I'm excited about it. This is one of my favorite churches because there's a Dunkin' Donuts on the way here. So I have no reason to fall asleep while I'm preaching, and neither do you. So I, uh, I, I like that. And I thought I liked Pastor Kyle, and I thought he liked me. But I've been getting suspicious about that because he's nice to me. You know, he sends me messages. He talks to me. And it's like, you know, Mark, we come to church and he's, he's very nice. But then whenever I come, he leaves. <laughs> and I would say, you know, and sometimes he leaves to, you know, go. I think we, we need to go to Pennsylvania last time, I think. And but this time he actually he was so offended by my presence. He got on a boat and left the country. So I don't know. I'm starting to like put two and two together here. And I mean, I don't know. I'll try my best not to take it as an insult. But it's hard. I am a street evangelist, so I am used to insults. Um, It's not uncommon for people to motion to me that I'm number one. Um, And they use their longest finger to let me know that. But uh, it's all right. I can can get over that. Um, So (laughs) I am a missionary with uh, Great News Ministries. And what we do is we just bring the great news to wherever people are. You know, in the summertime, uh, the town of Hampton, New Hampshire, wants people to hear the gospel so bad, they spend $2,000 every Wednesday night to put uh, a huge firework display up, just so people will come and talk to us about the gospel beforehand. How about that? Isn't that great? So that's what we do. Um, I have a little evangel dog that comes with me, and Dottie helped me with, with that. And so if you, ever, if you don't know how to get started in an evangelistic conversation, bring a dog. Out of all the human helpers that I have that come out and be part of the team, I love them all. They're all great. I'd love all of you to join me on the streets at some time. But none of you are going to be as helpful as the dog. The dog is better than, than all of you put together. Um, we, uh, in, in the uh, spring and uh, in the fall, we go to universities, and it's great. We talk to people there. We go to wherever people are. In the winter, when it's cold... Man, how, nobody's going to talk to you on the street because it's cold outside in New England. Nobody wants that. So the city of Boston wants people to get saved so bad that at great expense, they build these tunnels underneath the city, and they give us free electricity and heat. And every 15 minutes, they bring a train full of people to come talk to us. It's great. So uh, if you ever want to spend a day uh, in the subway, um, lovely smell down there. It's, uh, it's charming. Um, but people uh, come to know the Lord. We give away gospel booklets in all kinds of languages, uh, and it's, it's terrific. So I, I love being a, uh, an evangelist, and I love encouraging Christians to share their faith too because there's one of the big lies is that, 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 that nobody wants to hear it. So just be quiet. Be, be a Christian on Sunday morning in your church, but nowhere else. And that's not true. We talk to people all Now, some people don't want to hear it. I get it. And for those people, we say, okay, sorry, didn't mean to... Uh, upset you, but have a great day. But a lot of people do want to hear it. You'll be surprised how many people are very thankful. They talk to us. They take our gospel booklets and DVDs, and they take our Bibles and all that stuff. So please be more about sharing the love of Christ with the lost. If you had the cure for COVID-19, what kind of monster would say, I know how to cure it, but I'm not going to tell anybody? Well, as bad as COVID-19 might be, sin is much worse. It kills everybody. 10 out of 10 people die out of sin. The wages of sin is death. And we've got the cure, Jesus Christ. If we turn and trust in him, it's awesome. So let's be talking about that. Let's be talking about that.
Now, a little bit about me. Um, I did not grow up in a church. Uh, I grew up, uh, both of my parents are Jewish. I'm Jewish. My, my parents' parents are Jewish. Their parents are all the way back to Abraham. And one thing I knew about Jesus is that Jesus was not, was not for Jewish people. I didn't want anything to do with him, and I didn't want to hear about it, and I didn't know why. I just knew that he's, he's not for us. That's, that's the way it is. And I, I would make fun of people who believed in Jesus. I was, I was mean. There used to be these weird people at the University of New Hampshire in the early 90s when I got saved. And I would see them every once in a while. And they'd, be, they'd, be, they'd, they'd get a room in the Memorial Union building, which is where all the, you know, that's where all the different student groups meet. And they would, they would get out acoustic guitars. And get this, you're not going to believe this. They'd sing to Jesus. Like I could hear them through the walls. They're singing songs. I'm like, oh, music. I like music. And it's about Jesus. Like, what are they, nuts? Like, it was crazy. Like, I had acoustic guitar. I like to sing. But I, I was trying to sing to get girls. I mean, that, and you might find this hard to believe, but I wasn't really very successful at that. I know. Hard to believe. I know. But they're singing songs about, about Jesus. Like, what? Like, what are they, what are they crazy? And I, I just thought they were, they were, they were nuts to, to spend the time. There's, so there's so many better things to be doing with your time. And then uh, right at the beginning of my junior year, uh, so for people who have difficulty with math, that's right in the middle of my college experience, I actually befriended a born-again Christian. I didn't know it at the time. We were friends for about a month or so before he told me he believes every word in the Bible. Every word. I, what is what did he believe in Scooby-Doo and, and, and Superman too? I mean, I, I, we didn't believe in the Bible. And, but he did. And he did something gutsy, and I'm so glad he did. He shared Christ with me. And praise the Lord for that. And he asked me, Mark, what is it about the Bible that you find unbelievable? And I'm like, I don't know. I never really studied it. Never really looked into it. But I know that smart people don't read it and don't believe it. And he goes, well, you don't know that. You didn't look into it. If you have a strong opinion about something, but you didn't look into it, you didn't study it, but you have a strong opinion about it, that doesn't make you an intellectual. It makes you a moron, right? And that's what I was. I was a moron. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a good evangelistic tactic, by the way, is calling people morons. But it was true. And so I got so mad. So I I got a Bible, and I opened it up, and I started reading it, and I was going to write down everything moronic in it. I was going to write down everything stupid. I was going to write down everything anti-science, everything anti you know, women, anti, whatever I thought it was going to be. At the end of the book of Matthew, I had nothing written down. And I had met Jesus. I met him. You can't do that in a normal book. I'd, written, I'd read lots of books. I, I, I was an English major, which when I graduated, I was qualified to say, would you like fries with that? <laughs> Why we let 17-year-olds choose their major so I'd read lots of books, but I'd never met anyone in a book. I'd read some of the greatest literature in the world. I'd read Shakespeare and Chaucer and all these different things and some of the classics. And, uh, and, and, but, but, anyway, but, in, but in the Bible, it's different. I actually met Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, that means you haven't met him yet. It's okay. I didn't either for a while. So I, I get why you'd find that hard to understand. But if you know, you know, right? It's not just letters. It's you, you actually meet the God of the universe. And it changed my life forever. And I was never the same again. And I understood, finally, why those crazy people meet with their acoustic guitars and sing to Jesus. 
I spent half of my time in college as an unbeliever and half as a believer. And they couldn't have been any more different because I was transformed. And, and, and you're going to be. I get very concerned about people who say that they know the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's no transformation in their life. You can't meet the God of the universe without being changed from the inside out for the better. The things that I, I, I loved, now I hated. That's called sin. S-I-N, stinky inner nastiness. And now I hated it. And the things I used to hate, I loved. Jesus. I loved him. I loved him. Because I was changed. He changed me. Those people that I used to make fun of, they knew something that I just found out. That when you know Jesus, it changes everything. I hope you know that. So what does it have to do with the sermon? Well, it does. It gets, it gets there. Lately, uh, I've been reading through the book of Colossians a lot. Um, I do that from time to time. I'll pick a book and I'll just read it over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so if you have a Bible, please open up to the book of Colossians. And uh, I've probably read it about 20 times uh, recently. And what happens is sometimes a word will jump out at you. You'll see it differently. And uh, as I was reading through Colossians recently, there's one word that keeps sort of uh, jumping out to my attention, and it's the word life. Life. Life or live or lives, different forms of the same word, shows up 21 times in this short book of the Bible. It's only four chapters. It's tiny. And yet the word life or a form of it shows up 21 times. So let's pay attention to that. God saying pay attention. I'm using this word a lot. And the instance that really sticks out is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So if I could just read these, these four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life, is the word, is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Life is mentioned three times in those four verses. Pay attention to that. It says we've been raised to new life, we died to the old life, and Christ is our life. And that's the key. The key to all this is Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, he is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus should be our life. He's not just in our life. He's not just part of our life. He's not just a nice addition to our life. Like I bought a belt buckle. I'm going to put that or an accessory. Got a nice tie or a nice pin or a nice like that. Like, it, like you know, you go to a store of the mall and you just buy something nice to accessorize yourself. No, Jesus is not an accessory. He is our life. This is what the strange people in college understood. Why did they sing in public to Jesus? Because he's everything to them. 
That's why you do it. And rightly so. So what's so special about Jesus? Well, Paul answers that also in the book of Colossians, just a few verses before. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is a little bit of espresso theology. There's a whole lot of theology in five verses, and it's great. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him all things were created, all things, everything, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, not just through him, but for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not just some of God, not just a bit of God, not just, you know, God like, all of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether earth, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Whew, that's a lot of theology in just a few verses. To sum that up, these verses tell us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. He's the firstborn of creation. Firstborn doesn't mean the first created, as some cultists might tell you. Firstborn means the preeminent one. That's why the firstborn child gets the preeminent of the uh, inheritance. And sometimes the one who's considered firstborn in the Bible isn't actually the first one who is technically born. So when you see the word firstborn in the Bible, it means preeminent. By him, by Jesus, all things were created. Through him, all things were created. For him, all things were created. He is before everything. All things hold together in him. He's the head of the church. He is preeminent, even from those who rise from the dead. The fullness of God dwells in him. God reconciled all things through him, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me ask you, what else could be your life? Because something's going to be your life. Now, the apologist in me, by, when I say apologist, I don't mean someone who apologizes, but uh, it comes from a Greek word, mean apologia, to make a defense. And that's one of the things I do, is I, I, I make a defense of the Christian faith. People come up and say, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about this? And it's, it's pleasure and a joy to give them an answer. So because I'm like that, I, I feel like I, I have to give a little background on the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians was likely written approximately A.D. 62. So about 62 years after Christ was born, about 30 years after Christ died. And it was probably during Paul's imprisonment in Rome shortly after what we read about in Acts 28. So that's probably when this book was written. Again, within 30 years of Christ dying. Now, these verses, these, these five verses that I pulled out, are believed by some scholars, many scholars, to be a known church hymn or creed. Because of the, the structure of it, because of the language, it likely, Paul was quoting something that the church already knew. 
I'll give you an example. We can do it today. I'm going to do it with you right now. I want you to finish what I'm about to start. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now? Aha! You know that one, right? Okay, when was Amazing Grace written? Did I just write it right now as I was talking to you? No, because then you wouldn't have known it. It was written before I came to speak today. We don't know when. Well, some of you probably do. You're probably history nerds. But um, the point is, when you quote something that the audience already knows, it comes before then. So if the book, of, follow the logic here, the book of Colossians is written about 30 years after the events of the death of Christ, and Paul's quoting a well-known hymn or a well-known creed, and that's even earlier, right? That, that, that was written even earlier than that. So this, this little piece of scripture where it talks about Jesus being, being that, that all of God dwells in him is some of the most ancient theology that we have. This is very early. This, is very, this shows what the church is believing. And the reason why I say this is because there are going to be people that say, well, you know, early Christianity never taught that Jesus was God. It was all invented by the Council of Nicaea in 325 and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? It's, it's, we're not going to make fun of people who say that, although it's very common for people to say that. No, it's not true. We see this theology in the Bible very early on. So the, the, the doctrine of, of, of Christ being God himself, that God took on human form. They created all things. This is not something that was created, come up later by the church in the third, fourth century. This is something that, that, that the earliest Christians right away were teaching, and it's true. And it's amazing. We, okay, when you meet somebody who is the fullness of God in human form, be amazed by that. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. So when, 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 when Paul says a few verses later, Christ who is your life, that should not be scandalous at all. But what else would be your life? I see these t-shirts. Sometimes I see them as memes. And if you have one of these t-shirts, I'm not here to make fun of you. It's, it's fine. I get it. Maybe you've seen them too. They say football is life. Seen those? Baseball is life, which is wrong, by the way. That's not true. Baseball is extremely boring. I mean, football is life, I can understand. But baseball is life. Okay, we'll throw the ball. We're going to look. We're going to scratch ourselves. We're going to throw the ball again. Okay. If that's life for you, you, we need to talk. Okay? You can do better. Um, But I've seen, you know... Hockey is life. Basketball is life. And I, I, I get what they're saying. And I'm not going to, you know, find a kid at the mall or maybe an adult at church that wears those shirts and be like, oh, take that shirt off. But I do want to say, is it really? Like, is it really? Because I think it is for a lot of people. And let's have compassion on people like that. I mean, you can tell what your life is by what you spend your time, what you spend your money on, what you spend your, your, all your energy on. And sometimes it's sports. And I like sports, so I'm not, I'm not against sports. I get very excited. I root for Tom Brady even if he's not playing. So I don't have a problem with that. I, I, you know, I like Star Wars. I like the, you know, you're allowed to like things in the world. But Jesus is life. It all pales compared to that. 
And if Jesus isn't life, we should have compassion on you. What else would be your life? What a waste. To live a life, to, to, to be born, and to go through 70 years or whatever you have, and to make it all about your job, or all about sex, or all about your prestige, or your political ambitions, that is so much less than the great risen Christ. And if you don't believe that, then you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you'd know. When you read the whole book of Colossians, it's not very long. You'll find that Jesus is God. He's the head of creation. He's the head of all who rise from the dead. He created all things. When he created everything, he didn't have to go to Home Depot to get supplies. He just spoke it into existence. None of us can do that. We can make some cool stuff, but we need stuff to do it. We need supplies. Not Jesus. Is Christ your life? Because the book of Colossians is not an evangelistic book. Some books of the Bible are. They're written to people, the book of John. These things are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an evangelistic book. The book of Colossians, Colossians 1-2, it says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He's talking to saints. Saints are people who are already saved. He calls them faithful brothers in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this book is, is written to people who, who are supposed to be saved. And that's why he, Paul can say, Christ is your life. But I know, and you know, and everyone knows, that when you're, when you're at a church, not everybody who's at a church is really a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a true Christian. just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a true hamburger. In fact, I don't even think of the hamburgers at McDonald's that ha- are, are really hamburger. I don't know what they're made out of. I think they're made out of laxatives is what I think they're made out of. But one of the scariest things that is true is that you can be a false convert. How horrible is that? How horrible is that? To think you know Christ and you don't. How pathetic would it be? I tell people this all the time. I I show them one of these. I have a... uh, I carry these million-dollar bills in my back pocket because I'm weird. And uh, I, I say to people, I'm like, if I offered you a million dollars, a true, this isn't, this isn't really a million dollars. It's a, it's a real fake. Um, I, I want to explain that because there might be people in here like me who are educated in Massachusetts, so you'd be a little slow. I get it. So I feel like, you know, I have to explain things a little bit more, right? But if I offered somebody a million dollars and they said, wow, and they ran away happy, excited, and they're planning what they're going to buy, and they're going to buy an island, and they're going to buy a jet, and they're going to buy this, and they're going to buy that, and they're going to do all these things. Do they really have a million dollars? No, I offered it to them, but they didn't actually take it. It's still in my hand. In order for it to be theirs, they need to receive it. And I meet people all the time, especially in evangelism work, that know about Jesus. 
They can tell you. I say, do you know what God did so that sinful people could, could be in his presence? And they say, yeah, something, didn't he send his son to die on the cross? I go, yes, he sent his son to die on the cross. And they think, oh, well, then I'm good. Some of them have tattoos of crosses and they wear crosses and all that. But they never actually received it. And I think that's horrible. To be offered something, to be offered a million dollars and not take it is really sad. To be offered eternal life, to know it, to get it, to understand it, and not receive it is so much worse. Well, much more worse than not getting a million dollars. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And that's why we must, if we love people, say, do you know him? Not just about him. And I'll bring up Tom Brady again. I know about Tom Brady. I know that he was picked 199th in the sixth round. How cool is that? I know that he is the greatest quarterback of all time. Yes, he is. Um, I could tell you about his Super Bowl wins. I could tell you about his MVPs. I could tell you about all that. I know a lot about him. What I'm about to say is extremely sad for me. I don't actually know him. I wish I did. I'd just like to try on some of the rings and just, you know, catch the ball a little bit. I mean, you know, would it be so bad? You know, fine. Um, You can know about somebody without knowing them. And there's a lot of people that know about Jesus but don't know him. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. If you know him, then he is your life. And one of the ways you'll know that is your life will be transformed. Yes, you can still like other stuff. You can still like your, you know, your movies and your TV shows and your, and your kids and your all that stuff. Yes, but when it comes down to it, Jesus is, the, is your life. And anyone that looks at your life from the outside will see that. They'll say, oh, Michael, yeah, he's, well, he's all about entertaining people with terrific cartoons. But you know what he's really about? He's about Jesus. Dottie's great. Dottie's all about helping people, you know, find little four-legged companions, and it's, it's, she's great. That's what she's about. But you know what? I know Dottie. You know what she's really about? She's really about Jesus. I hope that's true about you. Because if it's not, it's sad. It's awful. I was going to end my sermon here. Uh, I am a Jewish preacher, so you never know when the sermon's going to end. It can go on for a while. My people did write First Chronicles, after all. And, and then we just kept on going and wrote Second Chronicles. So after most of the same information was already in Kings and Samuel. So we just said it again, you know. So my sermon was supposed to end about here-ish. Um, but, and I wrote this sermon, well, I started writing the sermon back in, in January, and, and I really was struck by, like, I was just using part of my own life about being in college and about not understanding why people get excited about Jesus and then getting saved, and now I understand why people get excited about Jesus. And that as I'm getting closer to being with you wonderful people, something interesting comes up on the news, and I feel like I, I should bring it up. Um... I had no idea when I started preparing this sermon that there would be a great object lesson about this. 
There are some strange college students in Kentucky right now. Weird. They got together at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, 11 days ago, Friday, February 8th. 11 days ago, just to have a worship service. It hasn't stopped. It's still going. It's like the Energizer Bunny with the Holy Spirit. It's still going. It's not. This, they're publicly. And, 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 and you know what? People are like, well, is it real? Is it just emotions? Is it this? Is it that? Look, I, I'm not there. I don't know. But here's what I do know. They're confessing their sin publicly. Okay, that's a good way you can tell somebody's really a Christian when they'll say what their sin is. And they'll tell it to, to you. That, and they're doing that. And they're crying. And older people are praying for younger people. And younger people are praying for older people. And they won't stop singing. And the school's bringing in food. And it's got to be Chick-fil-A because it's got to be holy food, right? <laughs> and people are calling it revival. I don't know if it's a revival or not. Some people say, well, it's just an awakening. What? I, I don't care what it's called. But I heard one student interviewed... And it's just, he's not a famous student. He's just some guy that got caught on a microphone on YouTube. And he said, revival isn't hype. It's ordinary people who are hungry. What are you hungry for? Because I want, I want what they have. I want revival here. I want revival in this church. I want revival, I want revival in my home. Because you come to the Somer home sometime, I don't know that you'll necessarily know that it's a Christian home at every time. I say that to my shame, but it's true. We could look a lot like the world sometimes. I could use revival. My wife, children could use revival. We all could. And it happens when we're hungry for Jesus. We're hungry for Jesus. What are you? I, I I am hungry for Jesus. Are we, are we saying, I don't, care what it, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care how, what people think of me. I don't care what I have to do if I have to stand in front of publicly to people in front of a train station and say, please, hear the word of the Lord. I'll do it. If I have to go stay in a library for the rest of my life and translate Bibles into languages that they've never been translated in, I'll do that. If I'm going to go to Bolivia and help with the water and electricity and all like the amazing things that we saw, how amazing is that? I'll do that. Whatever God calls you to do, I'll do it. And you'll do that if you're hungry for Christ. And if you're not hungry for Christ, you probably don't know him. So I'll end this sermon the way the book of Colossians ends. In 4.18, Paul says very simply but very profoundly, May God's grace be with you. May God's grace be with you. Grace, that unmerited favor. What you get that you don't deserve. Because if we get what we do deserve, we don't want that. But when God gives us what we don't deserve, wow. May the grace, may God's grace be with you. And it will be if you hunger for him if you hunger for more than a million dollars, more than perfect health, more than perfect children, if single people want Jesus more than they want a spouse, if married people in in a crappy marriage want Jesus more than they want a divorce, 
If children want Jesus more than they want the, 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 the esteem of their friends, who are dopey as they are. When that happens, the Holy Spirit will do here what he's doing in Asbury. He'll do with you. You might be the only one. You might be the only person. Let it, let it start with you. People may think you're weird for having Jesus be your life. But how sad to have anything else be your life other than Jesus. Because whatever it is, it's less than him. Because he is above all things.